When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. The transfer portal giveth, the transfer portal potentially taketh away. The new world order of college basketball giveth, potentially it taketh away. The reality is that the offseason in college basketball will never, ever be the same. One week after the high of Hunter Dickinson's announcement that he would return, Michigan fans learned that Frankie Collins, a key part of Michigan's surge to the Sweet 16 a month and a half ago, has entered the transfer portal. We don't know how it'll all play out. Same with the entrance into the NBA draft process for Caleb Houston and Musa Diabate, but we do know one thing. Expecting to know in the spring exactly what a college basketball roster will look like in November, those days are over, way, way over. So where do we go from here? The reality is I'm not really sure. No one really is. We can all make our predictions, but those are about as good as your NCAA tournament brackets after the first weekend of the dance. You'll be able to peg a few things here and there, get a few games right, a few players right. But this time last year, if I had told you, hey, Hunter Dickinson will be coming back for his junior year and Frankie Collins would be heading into the portal, no chance you would have believed me. College basketball is great during those three weeks in March and into early April because of the unexpected. That reality, that unexpected nature is spilling over to the roster building time of the calendar, the early to middle stages of the offseason. And buckle up, it's only going to get more chaotic and unpredictable from here. 
This week, we bring in someone who tries to make sense of it all from a Michigan standpoint and from a national standpoint. Brendan Quinn of The Athletic here on Defend the Block. We're talking Michigan basketball. Welcome to Defend the Block, where we'll take you inside the basketball programs with interviews, analysis, and so much more. Now, here's your host, Brian Bush. Always great to chat with Brendan Quinn of The Athletic here on Defend the Block. And, and we, of course, start at the logical place of what's new on the PGA Tour, Brendan? <laughs> uh, man, it's, uh, you know, most importantly, my, uh, you know, my career, my budding career, obviously, is is clearly taking off. You know, uh, I don't know how many guys out there can shoot 96 at Augusta, but, you know, I'm very... Very happy with my performance and my opening round uh, on the tour. Um, I hope the great things are ahead. You know, it's got to keep working day by day. Uh, you know, trust that process of, of becoming a 39-year-old PGA Tour rookie. So, Do, do you get, like in, uh, like in Happy Gilmore, do you get the giant check for finishing in last place? <laughs> yep. Yeah, when, 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 they, uh, when they mistakenly uh, pick you to go play a uh, – uh, a practice round the day after the masters um they um they, they roll out the carpet for you you know they make sure they get the cameras were out there hopefully that footage will run someday i'm kidding on all that thankfully um <laughs> no big check uh but memories that hopefully uh even my terrible terrible memory will be <laughs> able to <laughs> be able to hold on to there's very little room in there for much uh, but but I do think I'll remember that day for, for a long time. We'll get into college basketball, but I'm curious on on the golf side. And and, and if you don't know that much about Brendan's work, uh, you should. Uh, what he does on the college basketball side is great. Uh, and, and now really getting into the golf side. I mean, how different is it covering a golf tournament versus college basketball? You've always been, and you've always struck me as somebody who is very relationship-based. You're not, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you spent Illinois trips worrying about watching the bench and not the game. So right. you look at stories differently than I think most people do. But, I mean, you can't really see everything on a golf course live. You can't see 1% of things on a golf yeah. course live. So how does that differ from what you do in college hoops? Yeah, I mean, the the most exciting thing about the whole um, th- this whole process of, of adding golf as a, as a coverage point has been, you know, I did, I've done basketball since college. I started writing college basketball while still in, in school. Um, you know, so 2001, 2002 were probably the first times I started writing uh, hoops for, for publication. Um and over those years, you know, it's been almost two decades of, of doing this and you start to understand it. You get it. You understand cadence. You understand a lot of how these things work and blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, you know, two years ago, add golf as a, you know, 37 year old or however old I was at that time. And it was like, you know, walking into the media center for the first time. I had never been to a PGA tour event, period, let alone covered one. When I when I went to it, and I, I grew up playing golf, and you know I, I watched Tiger as a kid, and so on and so forth. But I didn't know anything, you know. So it was like the first day of school. Like I walked in. I remember I walked into the media center. My first event was um, the Wells Fargo Championship at, at Quail Hollow, where this year's Presidents Cup is in September. Um, but I walked in, and it was you know fresh off the basketball season. 
I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where I was allowed to walk. And you know, like the, the golf culture, right? It's a very staid, static sure. culture. Everyone, you know, it's stiff collars. It's everyone is kind of on the level, you know, no one's had a turn up. I have a tendency to maybe be a little uh, crass, we'll say. And, uh, you know, I was very uncomfortable. And so I walked in the first day and I just, um, I found Doug Ferguson's desk. Doug Ferguson's a longtime AP writer covering the PGA tour. He's been doing it for 30 years. And I'm like, well, if anyone will be able to tell me I do it, it'll be this guy. So I just sat at his desk for the first, you know, three hours of the day waiting for him to show up. And then he comes, comes walking in and I just said, Hey, Hey Doug, my name is Brendan Quinn. You know, I write for the athletic. I, I've never done this anything. I just, I need to follow you today. And I wonder if you're okay with that. Cause I, I really, uncomfortable and I don't know what I'm doing. And he, of course, was tremendous. And we've now been great friends ever since. But um, yeah, a lot of it's just, it was really, really uncomfortable is the point. And uh, to answer your question, like, since then, it's kind of just being able to understand how these things work and realize you're not going to see everything, realize you're not going to be there for everything. And, you know, you, you kind of pick your spots and um, if you feel really good about someone, the way that they're playing and you go follow them and, you know, on the 14th hole, they take a triple bogey and, you know, they're probably out of the tournament, you know, and you're, this is a Saturday. So you just leave them and it's like, it never <laughs> happened, you know, and that note, those notes, they're gone. And so there's a lot of that. Uh, whereas in basketball, you know, it's two tight hours and what happens happens and everything is part of the final result um, in golf outside of a couple guys. There's a lot of guys hitting shots out there that no one will ever care about, see or show or anything like that. So, um, but there's stories abound for sure. And that's what I love about it. Like to your point, um, I love telling people stories and writing stories and, and being there and um, being able to kind of bear witness to things or um, be able to tell stories through people's eyes and stuff like that. And on that regard, man, I mean, it is, it's as good of a sport to 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 do this as as anyone. There was, I think it was Red Smith might have said that the, the smaller the ball, the better the writing for sport. Might not have been Red Smith. That was said sometime by an old man somewhere, um, <laughs> and, and I think it's true. <laughs> well, so I look forward to Brendan Quinn's ping pong coverage here sometime down the road. That would be outstanding. I will say, I, I want to get into to Michigan and in basketball here shortly, but. It, it is so uh, refreshing and helpful to hear that you who, you know, I mean, you've been writing for a long time, were like completely out of the loop and, and worried. <laughs> so when I, before I started doing the games full time, I filled in for Matt Shepard for uh, a handful right. of games and then the postseason in 2018-19. That. I remember that. Is that I when he was, was in the mix with the Tigers stuff? Is correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he got, he got the Tigers job. Mm-hmm. Um. And so I had done a couple of games before that, but it was just, you know, one and done. Shep had something else on his broadcast schedule. I popped up to Ann Arbor. So then they were going to have me do it. And my first, you know, game was actually like, hey, this is in essence, you know, probably a job interview for you. It's at Indiana, which is (laughs) terrifying. I mean, it's amazing, (laughs) but it's terrifying. And. You know, that was the, that was the game where the shot clock didn't work for like eight minutes to start the game, and Michigan went on a 17-0 run. And my right. background was baseball coming up, so like I basically was doing rain delay coverage for eight minutes at a sold-out Assembly Hall. And the second game I filled in for was the John Beeline ejection at Penn State. 
Like, oh my! What, what the hell do I do now? <laughs> so I have the distinct honor of being one of the two hometown radio calls of John Beeline's college ejections. I don't know who the first was, but I'm like, do I do I interview him post game? Do I go down to the locker room post game? Is he? What? Did he know? Like, does he know who I am? Is he gonna want to talk to me? <laughs> I mean, just terrified and you eventually get into the rhythm but yeah I mean for a little while like it was you know I'd, I'd covered the team from the studio but you know to open sure. to open the 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 fourth wall a little bit the studio was in Winston-Salem North Carolina I'm not going home listening to more coverage about Michigan basketball I'm listening about Wake Forest basketball like right. completely different so uh yeah that that's good to hear from you because I was in the same boat a few years I still have a couple times like man what the heck am I doing here it's an uh, it's it's an all time regret that I was not there for that for the Penn for the Beeline Penn State ejection game. I think Michigan State was at Indiana that same night, ironically, uh, somewhat. Uh, I think that's right. Somewhere red. I remember walking across the court because it was like post game of the game that I was at. It was either Ohio State, Nebraska, or Indiana. Because I remember being over at See, this is how my memory works. Sure, sure. <laughs> but, but, and I remember, and I'm looking at my phone, like walking across the court. So it probably was Indiana, because you got to walk to that yep. far yep. media room in the corner of the court. And I was walking across the court and looking at my phone. And I see like someone, like Andrew Kahn or someone like tweeted. He's ejected. <laughs> he wants ejected for Penn State. I'm like, oh my God. Like that's, because that's in an instance of my job where I'm like, throw everything out. I don't sure. care about the game anymore. It's all about the eject. This is amazing, right? I mean, it just doesn't ever happen. No. It's, you know, someone someone else gets tossed. Who cares? Happens all the time. John Beeline gets tossed. That's like, that, that's international news right there. So, and fortunately, it was uh, yeah, at the I, end I, of I the wish first I was half. There for that. Yeah, fortunately, it was at the end of the first half. So, like, he, I mean, he was great in the post game. We still got him mm-hmm. interview wise. Like, it was, you know, it was it was smooth sailing. I do remember on the flight home there had been some snow, and we we hung out on the the runway for a good hour and a half before finally getting off. And that was where you could kind of see the you know because they had lost, he got ejected, and he was kind of walking up and down the hall like the aisle, going like, well, "We could have just stayed. Like, what, what's going on here? Why can't we leave?" And we eventually got out, and it was fine. But, uh, but no, it was that was whew, that was crazy. Um, I just looked it up. I was, it was in uh, Wisconsin. I was in Madison. Okay. So that, okay. So what do I know? <laughs> I mean, you another nailed it. On it, was, night. it was red. You nailed it. Perfect. <laughs> uh, so as much as I'd love to keep talking about this, I'm, I'm guessing yes. listeners might eventually want to hear your thoughts on Michigan. So let's get into Possibly. that. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, we talked to Hunter Dickinson here on, on defend the block last week. When did you start kind of getting the feeling that, that him coming back was a possibility when did you believe that it, it really had a chance to happen? And, and kind of how did that develop uh, as you were trying to, to, to comb through some details and, you know, of, of right. what is a really interesting player? And, and now, no matter what happens, a, a completely fascinating college basketball career. Uh, yes, to all of that, first of all, what you just said. Um, so, I, I, I mean, I think even through the season, you had to kind of keep in the back of your mind of, of really wondering – Okay, you know, he said what he said in the preseason that this is going to be his last year at Michigan, so on and so forth. And, you know, those were those were quotes in black and white. But um, there was always going to be the reality of, okay, well, what are what are the real options going to be to, to turn pro? And what what's going to be the feedback? What is he going to be told? And and how is that going to sit with with him and his, his family and so on and so forth? 
um, just because it, there aren't a lot of Hunter Dickinsons in the NBA. You know, that's just the fact of the matter. There's a reason Kofi Coburn played this year at Illinois. There's a reason, you know, Hunter Dickinson got the feedback he did last year. And um, even with the evolution of his game and him showing more and him stepping out and, and making more threes and kind of, and actually adding to his game, which like, it doesn't get said a lot. Like you rarely actually see what Hunter did where guys come back and they say they're going to do something. And then they actually do it like in terms of adding an, an entire new layer to their game. You, you see it all the time. Guys come back after flirting with the draft and they're like, yeah, you know, they told me they want to see my handle more and they see they, they want me to up my three point percentage, so on and so forth, or, or be, be able to be a you know more versatile defender, be able to switch one through four. They say all these things that they're just magically going to do in one year and become a different player. It rarely actually comes to fruition. It, more often than not, you basically are who, are who you are, right? And that, there are exceptions, of course, but that's that's the fact. Hunter Dickinson did do what he said he was going to do. Um, at the same time, you know, okay, what was it reasonably going to add to his value in terms of a, you know, draftable prospect, um, especially in the first round? Um, as the season concluded, um, I still – I don't want to say assume that's not the right word. I, you know, I did. I thought he would at least, you know, dip a toe in the waters, maybe, you know, or, or, or see what, what kind of feedback would be there this time around. Um, but, you know, words came quickly. Um, when, when in some of the conversations that I had about, you know, everyone saying, man, it's a new world. It's a new, like, that's the thing that you hear from everybody over and over when you talk about inside programs of just like what was real one year ago, two years ago, three years ago is not what it is now. It's a totally different um, set of circumstances. Name, image, and likeness has radically transformed how people think, how people act, decisions that are made, um, uh, you know, agendas from everyone in families to individuals and I'm speaking broadly on this, but like it has changed agendas across the board um, because now you don't have to wait for certain things. And, and um, there is risk built in to declaring for the draft, unless you are outside of the surefire top 15, top 20 players. Um, There's a degree of risk, no matter what, there's a degree of risk in declaring for the draft, signing with this guy, doing this, doing that, going through a workout, injuring yourself, you know, like there's so many things that can happen. And the, the dovetailing of, you know, high major college experience and the life that you get to live playing that way. And, you know, you're chartering, you're doing this, you're doing that and name image and likeness and, and, and the money that can be made for, for you and your family. Um, that's a little, that's a, way more attractive than a two-way contract. There's just no doubt about that at this point. And anyone who's in the G League would tell you that. Um, If you were going to give me, you know, six-figure this, six-figure that, whatever, and and the experience of playing college basketball, I would take that. Instead of playing in Sioux Falls on a Wednesday and nobody knowing where I am or what has happened to me. That is a fact of the matter. So, um, yeah, I mean – getting back to the original point, like as the season ended, it became pretty clear that, you know, if 
if the right numbers were there, if the right opportunities were there, um, that this was a very real possibility of, of him wanting to play a third year, of him wanting to graduate, which I don't know if that gets talked about enough, that he, he's going to be able to to turn this into a, a three-year degree at, at Michigan and um, like everything that comes with that. And he's a wonderful student, you know, for, for, the, for the way that he comes off. And I think like everyone listening to this show knows exactly I'm talking about. And I think people who are, are close to Michigan are aware of his background in high school, where he went to school, his upbringing, you know, like he was a great student in high school. He was a school president as a senior in high school, um, obviously got into U of M and has been a good student here. And like, he's a really, really good student. I don't know if people realize that, but outside, I think people who just watch him on TV, right out in Texas or California, or even in the big 10, you know, they might not realize that like this guy's going to finish. He might finish. I'm not exactly, I don't pretend to know his transcript, but he has a very real chance of finishing a degree at the university of Michigan in three years. And that's wildly impressive. And it was, it was important to him and the family. So getting that done is, you know, add all that up. And, and yeah, when I heard it kind of presented that way, that's when I was like, okay, you know what? I think the NBA draft stuff probably resides on other people on this roster and that and that Hunter is going to do the, the the smart thing of betting on himself for another year, taking the experience that's in front of him, not risking anything, um, getting the degree that he wants, being and being okay, and I think mature enough to be like, I changed my mind. You know, um, I think a lot of guys would have been beholden or felt beholden or even checked out mid-season because they thought in the back of their mind all along. Well, I'm going pro, so this doesn't matter. I'm not even going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to duck on my second semester classes. It happens all the time. The amount of the, the amount of times that I've heard of guys who, um, by the end of the season, realize that they might have to consider coming back and had put themselves in position to put that at risk academically, like that happens, right, a lot across the board. So, um, yeah, Hunter getting a shot to 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 take another run at it. And I think him knowing that if he does come back, like they can go, they can go try to try to do it. You know, this is not going to be some middling, you know, 500 team in in the big 10. I think like he realized that he's the needle and, you know, him coming back moves the potential of this team to, you know, all all right, Dickinson's back. Let's go try to make it to April. Right. That's now the goal. When Duck, when Hunter Pickens has come back as a junior, potential first team All-American. Now the goal is the final four. You know, and 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 he's aware of that. So everyone has to kind of be locked in to rise to that level because you don't get many opportunities like this. That was a long-winded answer. I apologize. Oh, no, no. I mean, it, and I think, you know, a, a lot of times people will mistake in uh, brashness and a willingness to speak out on things as maybe, oh, well, he, you know, flying off the handle, not the smartest guy. When, when he speaks, there's a real there's a real meaning to a lot of what he says. There's a lot of mm-hmm. now a lot of it's fun too, right? Well, how he how he dissed some of the other Big Ten schools at that pregame presser in San Antonio, where sure. he boxed out his teammates to say, "Yeah, I want to make this point." Like there's some of that <laughs> right. that comes with it, but I think that's where he's thinking about you know his brand, his long term stuff like that, and and I mean he. He is as fascinating for for people like us in terms of wanting yeah. to tell stories or detail things as they happen. Uh, you can't beat it. Um, you mentioned NBA draft 
decisions for other guys. Caleb Houston, Musa Diabate. Size that up, what you what you think on, on those two ends for two guys who, you know, I, I think you can see it both ways, right? I mean, they came mm-hmm. in as five-star recruits. Uh, they showed flashes of, of what, you know, it's probably going to take for them to get to the NBA. But you also feel like if they came back another year, they'd have a chance to really add to their stock. Yeah, I mean, from my understanding of certain things and, and related to, to both Musa and, and Caleb, um, if I, I had to, um, if I had to guess, if I had to throw things out there like that, like, cause they're both very interesting cases where the, the, the preseason lottery pick who doesn't exactly have the year that matches up, but still looks like the same person, you know, they're still the same guys that these scouts are talking about a same a certain way nine months ago. Same guys. It's not like they blew out their ACLs. Yep. It's the same exact player, you know, and they're both 18, 19 years old, whatever, you know. And you're like, almost always betting on potential in the NBA draft, anyways. You'd like to see some production, but it I mean, yes. there's always there's always a projection there. Right, right. The, like the, the scout isn't gonna isn't gonna sit and watch that perform that uh, a game against Houston, where you go, or a game against Wisconsin, where you get where Houston goes, you know, over Penn, whatever, and rip up the paperwork and walk out of the gym and be like, well, you know, that's not the guy that I thought he was. Like that, it just doesn't happen in that way. It's still you're still the sum of your parts, right? And if you're six eight and you have you know this great looking form and and all that, sometimes the numbers they don't, don't really care. Um, so the point being, they're both in different spots. However. Um, you know, Caleb Houston coming back to Michigan would be, you know, he's going to get a ton of shots. He's going to get, you know, he's going to be a, a very high usage player. He's um, going to be more comfortable. You know, I feel like stepping into the, into the college game and the role that he had last year as a freshman is very difficult. It, it, it's maybe not as quite as difficult as like, say, being like a freshman point guard, but his role was really hard um, as a freshman. And because like you almost would have preferred him just kind of be in like a hyper specialist role where he was kind of being asked to be a all encompassing piece in, in some ways. And that's a lot. So um, a second year in the college game, being more, I think, confident in himself, being more understanding of what's expected of him, being more understanding of his role, being able to, you know, string together a couple games where you, you might not make shots and, and, and break, retain your confidence confidence and think like all the things that come with playing a second year, like have real value of like, man, you play well, you're jumping right back to where you were. You're, you're the 13th pick in the draft like that. You know what I mean? And right now that's just not the case because the production simply wasn't there. So I, I do feel like there's more, a degree of attraction there and value in coming back and value on both ways actual value money right and um and playing and expanding your game and 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 solidifying yourself as a player that everyone thought you were and with musa you know like you you look at his like an expanded role for musa as a as a sophomore it it would look a lot like especially with dickinson back it would look a lot like this year frankly i think you know, like, I don't know what magical things happen next year that he turns into someone who completely changes his value. I think it would look a lot like last year. There'd be more production. There'd be better rebounding. And I think he did play better at the end of the year, without a doubt. Um, and you'd want to 
you know, keep that, keep uh, going forward with that. But I think all in all, I think it would look a lot like the second half of last year and the second half of last year did not do enough to get him into the lottery. Right. So where's the value there in coming back? Plus he's an international student and the NIL stuff with Musa Diabate as of right now, until laws are changed or rules are changed or whatever, I do not pretend to be an expert on that. Um, no, no one, no one is literally <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> so, you know, right now, he, right now he's different than his yep. teammates because the, the rules are different for what he can earn. So, you know, he is a, he is a mom and younger siblings in France and a family in France. Um, but, you know, I'm sure he'd love to have them the money to be able to bring them over here and things like that. Right. Um, so that's a different calculus than what we're talking about here when we say, oh, does Houston, does Caleb Houston want to do it? And actually, I guess Houston's from Canada, though. But was he born in Canada? Yes, I believe Is so. Is he a U.S. citizen, though, because of, of high school? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I think I, that's I, right. I've heard I've heard differences on Houston versus Diabate. Again, exactly what those are, I'm not sure. But I do believe, right. to your point, the calculus is different for Musa. And, and the circumstances of families are different as well. Um, so, point being, yeah, if I had a ballpark right now, I'd say I would project Musa Diabate likely being a guy who I, who I would project is staying, staying in and, 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 and moving on. And Caleb Houston, I think that decision probably has to be closer to a, a, a Michigan lean. If you want to call it, you want to, if you want to put a number on it, right. You say whatever, 65, 35, 75, 25, 85, <laughs> like I'd put it somewhere in there. So, um, and that's a, and he's another one. I mean, Either one you get back with with Dickinson, um, you know, with a with a new piece in the backcourt. There's a lot going on, and suddenly they they really change from a team that you were looking at and saying, "Man, this thing's going to be hyper young, hyper inexperienced." Where's the production coming from? Where's the scoring coming from? To in a span of a couple of weeks, saying, oh, "Okay, so this is a team that's going to be again projected to win the Big Ten and and might be a Final Four team." <laughs> Yeah. It's just a, it's a, like we said, I think in the very beginning, it's a very different world. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the numbers, the reality is there's a lot of time between now and when Caleb and Moose mm-hmm. and all these other guys have to make this, make this decision. I think the Hunter Dickinson odds changed as that process went along. I think a lot more than people thought, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he, he's been on record, Hunter has, as saying he was really close to leaving. And I, I don't think people assessed that. Uh, as being that much of a possibility when he went in. He he seemed like one of those perfect, hey, show me what I need to do, I'll do it next season, and then potentially mm-hmm. go, and, and this stuff can really change. Now, speaking of things really changing, uh, y- you look at the Frankie Collins situation, and, and Jalen Llewellyn, a transfer from Princeton, posting that he is committed to Michigan. Uh, that's not completely solidified yet, but you know mm-hmm. that happens. Frankie Collins enters the portal. Uh, what we saw from him, in the tournament last year showed, I think, a, a an immediate ceiling that maybe wasn't what people were expecting, and it had a lot of people really excited about what he could do. What have you heard on that, and, and just how big would it be for this team if Frankie does indeed leave? Yeah, I mean, having a guy who, who played a year, developed in the system, 
um, has kind of an understanding of, of being a point guard in this at this school in the system, um, that's important. And and turnover there is is difficult in the long term. And you know, Michigan's had success um, in adding um, transfer point guards, uh, transfer guards, and. At the same time, though, you know, it's people also like having guys develop in the in the program. And there's this very fine line of like, OK, what what's the best way? What's the right way? You know, because, you know, Dickinson coming back also changes, like we said, changes the situation where, OK, well, now you got this guy back and, and you can really take a run at this. Um you have to understand the attraction of adding a a veteran guard, uh, a guy who shot 38% on threes, a guy who's, um, you know, played at Princeton in that system for three years is a very heady player um, is going to be able to come in and, and, and pick it up. He, they won, you know, Mike Smith has had, had a grind of a time at Columbia, right. Losing a ton of games, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, at, at, at Princeton, you are you're trying to make the NCAA tournament every year and you know you're trying to win the Ivy and you're you're playing rivalry games with with Penn and um so on so forth. So yeah, getting a guy who's been there who's who's older, um, you know, you lose Eli Brooks, which like, you know, I mean, we could spend sit here and talk for another 20 minutes about what it means to lose Eli Brooks and that like in ways that go so far beyond the the box score. Um yeah, like going into a year with just very young, inexperienced guards that you're hoping, right, in big air quotes, hoping it works out, that that Frankie's ready to take that step as a sophomore, that Doug McDaniel's ready to come in and give you minutes as a freshman point guard, which, like, we see over and over and over again how hard it is to do that at this position. Um, we were asking the exact same questions this time last year about Devontae coming in and Frankie doing it. Same thing. Exactly. Exactly. Like it's just, just assuming that this guy's going to be able to come in and give you 15 minutes, 15 good minutes a game is you can't, you can't assume that. So, you know, when you get Dickinson back, well, now you don't really have the luxury of saying, okay, it's a rebuild year. You know what? We're going to ride with these young guys. We're going to kind of reset the roster. You know, like I do think next year, if Dickinson was gone and say like, say Diabate or Houston was like a cold, hard out. I'm in, you know, I signed with the, this agent or that agent. I am, I am out, out. Um, okay. I think you're now looking at this differently where you're like, you know what? I'm okay. Going for, through the first two months of Frankie Collins going through growth. And, and, and it, there's going to be some hard times there of suddenly playing 30 minutes a game and being the lead point guard for this team and what that's going to look like. Um, I'm okay with that. And we'll see where it gets things in February, right? I just don't think you have that luxury when you have a guy like Dickinson back and the goals change. So, you know, you, you add a veteran guard as a, not a stopgap, but as a, let's continue to raise the ceiling. You know, if you're going to take a run at it, then keep getting better for next year, not for 2023, not for 2024, but for this I should, I had those wrong. <laughs> you, Close you enough. Close uh, enough. But, but um, yeah, so, you know, with, with, with Frankie Collins, I see, I think, you know, when he verbal to Michigan, he probably didn't foresee Devontae Smith falling out of the sky. And when he was going into his sophomore year, he probably didn't foresee 
Jason Owellen, how did I do with the pronunciation? Well, you you as a as a Philly sports fan, you said Devontae Smith, so you're locked in on the NFL draft and stuff. That was great. <laughs> Devontae, Devontae Jones. <laughs> great catch there. I would have heard about that. I mean, hey, uh, it's all right. <laughs> and I have been locked in on the draft. <laughs> That was perfect. Great draft for both was, the Eagles I and love, the Lions. I love, love that you it. asked about the pronunciation of Llewellyn, uh, <laughs> but uh, that was that was perfect. Thank you, man. That was. I mean, hey, if you ever want to go the broadcast side, you set up a gem right there for me. Sometimes I just try to speak so quickly that no one can understand a damn word I say anyway, so it doesn't matter. That is but, basketball uh, play-by-play, Brendan. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at that! He dunked it. How about it? <laughs> Passes it to the man, and um, so yeah. But it, with Frank, and I, I'm, I'm guessing he didn't see a transfer coming up this year, sure. and I'm guessing his family did not foresee a transfer coming in this year. And it was supposed to be hand him the ball. This is his. This is his turn, right? I think there were feelings of that. So um, when that picture changed, they've obviously made this decision. Um, and uh, moving on, um, see what the. See what, see what markets out there, see what possibilities are out there. Um, I don't think they've closed the door on coming back to Michigan. Is that, is that correct? I don't know if you said it publicly or whatever, but um, yeah, now it's always a matter of finding out kind of what, what options are there. And if, and if there's a better scenario than, than what's present. Um, and I, frankly, I think I get it from both sides. Sure. I get it from Michigan adding a, adding a, a, an experienced player and I get it from Frankie saying, okay, well, I didn't, this, thing, this is not the scenario that I thought was going to be in front of me for my sophomore year. And I would see what other options are out there. You know, it's, that's the way the world now, man, you know, like it, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be unless regulations are, are built in, this is a totally different conversation, but it's just going to be off season free agency. I think near across the board. Um, moving forward, if if we continue with kind of this current setup, so um, yeah, it's I think after the after the roster addition, I think the Frank Collins entering the portal is one of the more less surprising things that could have happened in the in the following days. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings, just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. Couple more questions for Brendan Quinn of The Athletic. And, and yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it, it can happen so quickly, right? One thing has that effect on on a bunch of other things. I'm curious as you have you know a, your pulse on on college basketball as a whole. There's a lot of questions or wonders or you know just critiques about NIL transfer portal. You're seeing a, a new era on the coaching side. Somebody like Jay Wright leaves at the age of 60 to to retire in essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the vibe? I mean, th- there are a lot of changes. I think a lot of them are for good. Um, I think the NIL stuff, we talk about the fact that, you know, college basketball can market Hunter Dickinson, Oscar Shibway, a North Carolina team that that returns a ton of maybe unexpected players after going to the national championship game. I mean, there's a lot of good to it. 
are there concerns on the inside about the long-term ramifications of, hey, it's really hard to be a coach now in all of this. For the players, not everyone who goes into the transfer portal, this isn't a game of musical chairs where only one is out, right? I mean, there are a lot of potential players who, who enter and the grass isn't always green. I mean, what what is the vibe of this? I mean, you think in the last three, four years how much this has all changed. Uh, is there concern? Is there optimism? Is it just, hey, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have to adjust like we always do. What's that vibe from from college basketball as a whole? So I, I think in the big picture, this was all this was a long time coming, and it's sure. on the NCAA that it, it was allowed to kind of be initiated with them, obviously kicking and screaming as opposed to realizing like the writing's on the wall. This is going to happen, so let's come up with a way that it works in some kind of ordered fashion, as opposed to just like throwing a, a match into gasoline, right? Which is basically how this was initiated. Um, Nobody knows what's going on. Every coach is, is their head is spinning. Every person is like, man, you don't understand. Like, that's the conversation you have over and over and over. Um, it's just the, these guys, you, you just can't imagine what's going on out there. I'm like, yeah, I can. Cause you're all saying the same thing. <laughs> you know, it's, I know exactly what's going on out there. It's a disaster. Um, and so, so many, you know, whether it's unintended consequences, whether it's just like, you know, I think kind of them just getting caught just sleeping on, on realizing that this was just all initiated with no regulation whatsoever um, has just led to chaos. And there's going to have to be, um, there's going to have to be some very real uh, guardrails of some kind put up in some way, because there's no one's going to deal. Like people are not going to deal with this. Um, It, it's very difficult. So um, like right now you can very well lay out a case that if you're a returning player at school, like you have more value by going into the transfer portal. Sure. You know, it has now been, um, that's where the money is. That's where the value is, is to, is to put your name out there. So, um, you know, just retaining talent, someone who has no, who might not want to transfer at all. <laughs> they could love their coach. They could love their school. They could be there. They could be a lifelong fan of, you know, alma mater U and that's where they want to go. And their father went there and their girlfriend goes there and they love every piece of it. Well, okay. At the same time, put your name in the portal and see if not just to get more money out of where you are, see what the value is elsewhere. Like that. It's reasonable. And like, you just, I don't know how to structure this thing. You know, a lot of this is, going to, is, is the NCAA having to acknowledge what there is the reality that these are now paid players and that the idea of amateurism is so far in the ground dead that, you know, they're acting as if they're living in a different world um, as this one passes them by. Right. So um, I don't know how regulation can be. Um, built into the, the current structure, but you got to do something, something. I'm not smart enough to have the answers there, but um, it is, it is far more um, wild West than average fans realize. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's value on leaving. You can't have that. The, and the fact that the, the, the other, like the, the real, 
the the, the deepest parts of this cloud of the the a bomb that has gone off on college basketball is the fact that it was the two things at once sure that you had nil and you had open season on transfers match at the same time is really what is at the root of all of this is that you got to do one get that going and then add the other one and instead again the ncaa just wasn't having it and and the NCAA is not the boogeyman, right? These are the schools. The NCAA is a is a product of its constituents, and those are university presidents. Um, I know Mark Emmert's the big bad wolf in a lot of people's mind, but he acts on on behalf of those schools. So, um, yeah, I mean, without going too far, uh, I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think it's getting it solved anytime soon. And, um, yeah, you might lose some coaches. You might, um, but there will be coaches behind them. Yep. There's, there's money to be had. So um, there will be coaches behind them. But if for me as a college basketball specific fan, um, I'm worried that the gap between the top 75 and everyone else gets so dramatically different that this at this, this at this leads to a breakaway. Um, is my ultimate fear. Um, so if that's the case, you know, a lot of what we all love about this thing goes out the window and we never hear of St. Pete's, yeah. you know? So, but that's the interesting um, thing, right? Is that as this is happening, you have what right. was, what was conceived to be completely impossible. I mean, not only, not only was St. Peter's the first 15 seed, to get to the Elite Eight. There had never been, obviously, a 16. There had never been a 14. There had never been a 13. So it was so far. And now the argument on that could be, oh, well, it's just a ridiculous outlier. That's not really a trend. But, I mean, that team felt like it belonged, right? Like, (laughs) I mean, I know we can all, as Big Ten, you know, uh, followers, we can all wonder what the heck happened with Purdue on that, you know, on that Mm -hmm. uh, Friday night. But that's the beauty of it. And it's also potentially the curse, right? Like, yeah. there's a lot there. I'm, I'm hopeful with you. I mean, mm-hmm. I you don't want to lose that magic. And I and I think that that's the same thing. Like, Doug entered entered the transfer portal, and he went to Bryant. Like, right? Why, like, why? Like, say St. Peter's, <laughs> but he he did. Like, you know, he went with his Buffalo Wild Wings NIL deal, and he's going to Bryant. Good for him. Right. Like, whatever. Right. And um, you know the. There, the, the the thing is that like the, the NCAA tournament in its current construct, you just have to hope that there is so much money there, right? I mean, it basically finances the entire NCAA as an institution. Um, football is obviously a separate deal. That you know, like if those big schools they want to break away for football, go nuts sure. because they should have a long time ago, right? Um, but just leave this like leave us alone, man. <laughs> on the other side of the fence like look don't even look over here you know we're good just we're point fine. just point toward football <laughs> look over there 100 percent. 100 uh la- last question for you with all this considered i mean if i'd have told you when when juan howard was hired in the summer of late spring early summer of 2018 that his staff would basically be intact like 
I mean, it is, considering the complexion of it, and that was, mm-hmm. I've said this multiple times, you know, when the hire was made, you felt like, okay, like, yeah, there, there's some real potential there. And, and my first true feeling of real optimism of, oh, yeah, this has a chance to be really good was the staff that he assembled. It just mm-hmm. seemed to fit a lot of, ch- it checked a lot of boxes, right? I never would have thought that this staff was going to stay intact. I mean, did you? And, and how big of an asset is that in this, I mean, no, you know, there hasn't been any more change in chaos in college basketball, mm-hmm. NIL, transfer portal, pandemic in the last three years than ever before. And they, they've been in it together. Yeah. I mean, as you go case by case, there's no way I would have foreseen them still being together. I mean, Saudi Washington interviewed for this job. Yep. <laughs> he, he interviewed for it in, in the process when, when it ended up uh, going, going with uh, when Ward Manuel ended up going with, with Juwan. So like Asadi for years has been talked about as, you know, a really high level young candidate that a lot of schools that are aware of and that, you know, people in the business highly respect um, and just the right opportunity for him personally clearly hasn't shown itself. So there have been opportunities, just not ones strong enough for him to want to trade in the life that he has here um, and disrupt his family's life right so you know there's something to be said for being an assistant at like at this day and age being an assistant at michigan is like just as good as being a high being a mid-major head coach financially and lifestyle wise so like you know you got to appreciate that that there are some guys who are just so hell bent on being a head coach that they'll take any job and they go to a place and you're just like well that's that's the wrong good point, luck <laughs> wait like wait something else is going to come around like there are those programs when people take those jobs or you're just like oh god we're never going to hear from you again man um that was one of the things kyle neptune going to fordham last year i was yeah. like why yeah. kyle I'm, man, I've known kyle for a long time <laughs> that's that's a dead end man like that is where careers go to die and lo and behold a year later he's now that <laughs> so what do i know i mean look um, at shaheen holloway right st peter's <laughs> yeah st peter's is is i mean that i don't think I, I it was talked about for two weeks and i still don't think people understand just how <laughs> low major that program is in terms of what it has at its disposal it, I mean, in Jersey City, in the in the heart of Jersey City, and it's just preposterous. It is so preposterous that that ever happened. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, with with Saudi, like I am, I would love to have, get some truth serum in there and be like, you know, what are is it high major or bust? Like, will you only like what will what would you take? You know what I mean? Because it's a it's a really it's an interesting thing um, because you know maybe that opportunity comes and maybe it doesn't. You know, you, you talk to a lot of coaches who are just like those head coaching jobs, they only come around, you know, and if you expect them to or blah, 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 um, you know, sometimes they don't. So and say no enough times and people stop asking. Uh, so, you know, what like what does Saudi want long term? I, I would really uh, be interested uh, in that. But he's had opportunities um, and has chosen to stay. So. You know, like, I think that's a testament to the, the job. I think that's a testament to the staff. I think it's a testament to the school. So, um, and then, how, like, Howard Isley, oh, he probably should have should have been at least in the running for the BC job a year ago, and that that didn't really go the way anyone saw um, 
going and between like the the dynamic on on him still being here is is especially interesting because you're like well there could be two different roads you know the nba opportunities and the college opportunities like surely something's going to come that he's going to go but i think he really likes working with guards here i think he really likes working with juan i think he likes living back here you know this is a guy who's from detroit yep. who spent his entire adult life moving around and around and around and suddenly he's here and his family you know and he gets to kind of be I think at peace a little bit and and in one place and all that and then Phil um I mean the fact that Phil's here still I think is, <laughs> is preposterous but um you know I've always I in like the after the first year I kind of wondered okay does a head does a head job offer come around that really piques his interest maybe it's something back east maybe it's something back home and I think if if certain jobs had opened like sure and and they called like it might have been attractive enough um that never really happened you know just things just never um like the opportunities that might have drawn him away never existed you know so um and then again on the other side of that it's you know okay his age you know how much does he want to keep doing this how much does he want to stay away from judy you know judy's still at home in Philly and he's out here living by himself for the most part. And, yeah. Like you would um, never, you would never guess based on just how he handles things and, and, and right. how approachable. I mean, he, he is sacrificing a great deal family much wise. So. And, and, and you could talk to Phil Martelli for two minutes and know how important his family is to him. I mean, it really yeah. is a huge sacrifice he's making. And it's not only um, being away from his wife and, and the grandkids, but you know, I'm sure he would love to be able to go 100%. to games at VCU with, where Jimmy's at and go to games at Bryant where uh, Philip is at, you know, like, and, and get to kind of live that, that life or, or do something different. But, you know, he still has the drive um, to want to be around the game, want to be in the locker room, want to be on the court. Um, and, you know, I don't, I would, I'd be curious to know like what was really kind of a, a deep in the back of his mind of what he was thinking about for this offseason and if getting back into the head coaching chair even might have re-enlivened sure. things a little bit. I don't know, you know, who, who, who knows? But, um, you know, that was that was a whole fascinating side of, yeah. of, of this thing. And like, yeah, I, at this point, you know, I don't, I don't know if another job draws Phil away from Michigan. I think it's when Phil wants to, yeah. wants to tie it up um, that that'll probably be the time. So um, I don't know, but meanwhile, Fran Dumphy, his best friend is like hiring <laughs> every old coach in Philadelphia. Right now he's got Joe Mihalik on his staff. So like, I don't know, there's a chance that like an 80 year old Phil Martelli joins a, uh, 80-year-old Fran Dumphy staff at LaSalle sometime down the, All right. <laughs> down the line, and they can bring everyone back. All right. Uh, well, hopefully, hopefully, get, get Herb McGee on that staff, you know, get get everyone out there. Hopefully the aggregators <laughs> haven't made it to the 50th minute of this podcast then. <laughs> Brendan Quinn saying chance that Phil Martelli heads back east. Uh, well, listen, Brendan, this was great. Check him out on The Athletic. Uh, two great podcasts that that I think Michigan fans would be very interested in, and I'm sure there's a ton of overlap in listenership with the moving screen and the beat. Uh, really thankful for all the time. Uh, congrats on on your budding PGA Tour uh, event, and uh, keep hitting them straight. Brian, you're the man. Let's get out there soon. 
Really enjoyed that conversation with Brendan. Check out his work. Mention it on The Athletic. It is a subscription site, but boy, there are a few things that I go to every single day, whether it's on my phone or on my computer. Uh, The Athletic with Brendan and so many others, great work is one of them. Uh, He has two podcasts, the Moving Screen podcast with Dylan Burkhardt of UM Hoops. We've had Dylan on the show before. Uh, Those two and others are so vital to some of the preparation that I do before each and every game. They have have some great stuff on that podcast, both in season and out. And also he and Nick Baumgartner uh, with the Beat podcast. Highly recommend that as well. Not so much the basketball side, but still a great listen. Brendan and Nick as connected as anyone in this area, and they've been able to expand out and take on more of national responsibility. So thanks again to Brendan. Thanks to all of you for listening. We'll continue our off-season coverage. And hey, as we talked about, Off-season coverage, still plenty to discuss in college basketball and Michigan basketball right here on Defend the Block. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to today's edition of Defend the Block, part of our Michigan Athletics Podcast Network, MGO Blue Podcasts. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of the Michigan Sports Network. Let's jump into Pepper's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Pepper play sets. Pepper Pig, inspiring kid confidence.